Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Winter is coming. Might just be the cold. Winter is coming. It's cold outside. You don't know cold. Winter is coming for him. It's either me or this cold, and it doesn't appear to be going anywhere. And winter is coming. You look cold, boys. It is a bit nippy. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> That's cold. Winter is coming. Mm-hmm. I'm cold. It's cold and it's wet. Winter is coming. You're crying because you're cold. You're a long way from home. Winter is coming. I imagine you might be rather cold. And winter is coming. No, that's all right. I'm fine. You're not. You're freezing. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 22nd of May, year of our Lord, 2019. And as you heard... We're going to do a got review and news social media nuggets. A little small, short. I'm practicing a short podcast. Today will be a non-political one with, well, there's a few political things in there. And then Saturday's podcast will be all politics. Um, you know, I try to bounce back and forth between those subjects as we go into this stage. And I'm really trying today to make this under two hours. I'm really trying. So... Less talky, more worky. I excuse the delay on the podcast. Um, the wife's been sick. I tore my rotator cuff in bed. That, that's when you know you're fat, out of shape, broke. You know, I'm disabled, you know, militarily. But I was trying to get a remote using my elbow above my head. And I tore my rotator cuff. So I had a hard time using the computer this week. Um, I have my arm in a sling, so, th- you know, that's that's the reason. Um, so we're going to do got The intro was how many times they said winter is coming. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, by now, I spoiler alert, but I shouldn't have to. You know, if you watch the show, you watched it. And if you don't, then fast forward, and uh, you can get to news and social media nuggets. It won't be that long. i got a few sound bites, a couple articles, and some stupid stuff. But before I get there, I wanted to read just one tweet. And if, if you've been following... World News, Um, I still do it even though I've been doing a podcast. I want to read uh, Political One Spinner, Les Stonehouse. My daughter watching ABC News from Iceland now saying she's not coming home now. In tears with my grandson wondering what the hell is going on. Others have contacted me in tears. I'm confused for fuck's sake. Strange night, not good for Australia. I guess it's worldwide. I mean, liberals worldwide think it's the end of the world of their person doesn't get elected. But why I really wanted to talk about it 
you know, or I guess another reason, is the simple fact this is another one for Brexit to Trump to now this dude that um, the liberal national coalition government has returned to power, which is kind of like the conservative people, I guess. The poll said there weren't no way this guy was going to win, and he won. And, and I think it, it's getting to what we talked about during the 2016, if you were with the podcast, taking a sampling of a 1,000 people with the bias that the media uses, other than Gallup and Rasmussen, I don't believe anything ABC, Wall Street Journal, Fox, I don't give a fuck who it is. If you look at the inlays, as we've done on the show, it's always biased. You know, for Fox, it's maybe a couple percentage point. But with ABC, CNN, we're talking 12, 13 points slanted left with more independent voters than really conservative voters. That's if you got them on the phone. That's what you went out to do. And they always say it's based on the last election. But not a single poll we've had so far when I look at the inlays is based on the fact that Donald Trump won electorally. So technically, yeah, in what, 38 states, he got more votes than her. So a thinking person would go, well, then more conservative people voted or independents voted than Democrats. But they still want to rely on the popular vote, which is California, New York. Those numbers, that's where you get the four or five million. It's not this country. It's super blue states. And so you may have more people for the popular vote concept, but that's not the country. In the country, 38 states went to Donald Trump. So technically, you should slightly skew two to three points conservative in your polls to get an accurate representation if we're going off what you said for eight years. We're going off the 2012 election. We're going off the 28 election. Likely voter turnout. Yeah, a black man runs for president. Every liberal person in America voted. Old white woman runs for president. You just don't get that many people going. So, that's my one little political thing up front. We have a little politics in Game of Thrones. I'm just hitting it quickly because there's so much stupid on this. And let's go straight in. This was recorded in my house. It's not a great recording. I apologize. None of the final scene I could find online... I was going to record it with Amazon, you know, because I have the HBO subscription, but it would be much better. So uh, this is what I took away from this show, the season and series finale. And I thought it summed up why Game of Thrones was pretty freaking awesome. I've had nothing to do but think these past few weeks. About our bloody history. About the mistakes we've made. What unites people? Armies? Gold? Flags? Stories. 
there's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And who has a better story than Bran the Broken? The boy who fell from a high tower and lived. He knew he'd never walk again, so he learned to fly. He crossed beyond the wall, a crippled boy, and became the three-eyed raven. He is our memory, the keeper of all our stories. The wars, weddings, births, massacres, famines, our triumphs, our defeats, our past. Who better to lead us into the future? I thought that line really, I mean, nothing beats a story. It's what we all rally to. And that's what Game of Thrones has been. If you really look at it, Twitter is a test bed for the divisiveness of our society. If you go on there, as I've joked in the past, using a got reference, it's Dracarius lefties to righties, Dracarius righties to lefties on a smaller scale. It's just trolling. But when you get into a Game of Thrones thread or Twitter moment, which has been quite a few um, over the last six weeks, <clears throat> you have everybody talking. Didn't matter if you were gay or straight, black or white. It didn't matter. Most of the world was watching this show, and it gave us something to talk about, a commonality, if you will. And I thought that was really neat. Um, I was late to it. You know, I waited to season four and we binged it while my wife was coming from a surgery. You know, the the initial, you know, I didn't like Bush's head on a pet pike. I was a soldier when that happened. Um, I I didn't like, well, I guess I wasn't a soldier, was I? God, I've been out that long. I guess I wasn't. Um, But, you know, I I came from soldierly stock. You don't do that to the president. A lot of sex. I remember tuning into a scene where the guy's getting a blowjob, peeking through a window while two people have sex. You know, I just thought, well, that's just not me. And dragons. You know, it was just a whole dragon thing. I I couldn't couldn't do dragons. Um, And I wasn't the only one that thought that. We'll see in two seconds. But then once I watched a full season, got into season two, three, and four, boom, I was hooked. I was on for five, six, seven, and eight. Um, watched it, not like this season where I watched it on the Sunday and then went to bed. I would watch it the next day, and I'd listen to podcast at one on the throne and by Shat on TV. Great podcast. You know, I initially listened to that because it was one of the better podcasts out there, so I wanted to get better at what I was doing, and I'll never be as good as those guys. But, you know, I, it was fun. Um, but not everybody was into it initially, and that's why I wanted to start this with, let's look back on some of the early negative reviews of Game of Thrones. The most famous of early pans may be Jania Belafonte's review in the New York Times. While she acknowledged the show's ambition, she worried that the sexual aspects were tossed in as a little something for the ladies out of justifiable fear, perhaps that no woman alive would watch otherwise. Game of Thrones is boy fiction patronizingly turned out to reach the population's other half. 
Game of Thrones serves up a lot of confusion in the name of no larger or really relevant idea beyond sketchy, fleshed-out notions that war is ugly, families are insidious, and power is hot. Nancy D. Wolfsmith of the Wall Street Journal, the headline of hers was Servants, Swords, and Sad Sex. And once again, these are off the first season. We're back to the familiar favorites of the infantile, spurting blood and gore, bastard son, evil vixens, blonde nymphets, quasi-lesbian action, crude talk among men about the private parts, incest, rough couplings, and more random bare breasts than any other contender in the adolescent boy action show contest this month. And I won't read anymore. Time. Watch a Game of Thrones like falling into a gorgeous stained tapestry. They thought it was great. Linda Stassi, New York Post, thought it was great. A lot of people did, but there were a lot of negatives. I mean, there were just negatives on the whole thing. So it wasn't this huge juggernaut until a couple years in, and then it was like, wow, nothing like this has ever been on TV. Um, just the budget alone is insane. I mean, per episode. I mean, I think one of the funniest memes that came out, and I think I might have talked about it in one of the reviews of an episode was the fact that Cersei Lannister, the was Lena Headley or whatever her name is, she got paid a million dollars just to drink wine and look like a bitch out of a window. I mean, that's a freaking great job. I, I would actually like that job. So here are some of the critics' final episode, and I got this from uh, Daily Caller. Had a good wrap up. Um, uh, here we go. Thus far, the critic score on Rotten Tomato is a 58%, which is quite enough for it to earn a fresh status. Isn't quite enough, excuse me. The review site provides the following summaries of the consensus from critics. If nothing else, this divisively bittersweet, if unfortunate, bland series finale ensures Game of Thrones fans will linger on the fate of their favorite characters for some time. Will they ever be satisfied by the show's conclusion? Ask us again in 10 years, which of course came from the show. The Atlantic's David Sims was battered into submission after the misery of the bells. It was a finale undeniably steeped in fan service, giving audience favorites such as Brian, Davo, Sam, Braun, seats on the new small council, and doing away with literally every bloodthirsty or unstable member of the cast. Detroit Free Press Nancy Kaffer was not unsatisfied at all. Had Weiss and Benoff brought the show to a more satisfying conclusion, Martin would have had little incentive to finish the season. Excuse me, series. It's safe to say that fans are not satisfied, and Martin has a chance to tell the story he intended. Supposedly there was some infighting. He used to help, and then he stopped. Ellen Gray was also clearly not thrilled. If you like your finales tied up with a bow, well, this one was. I'm only surprised no one was strangled with it. Josh Jackson... Uh, at pastes, never heard of it. A little stumped for words. We've been on the same page most of the season in terms of our disappointments. And after finishing the episode and taking some, talking some smack about it with my friends tonight, my wife asked a salient question. What would have made you happy? Nothing. Nothing would have. The show's ending. I won't go through the rest. There's, there's hundreds. I mean, there's just hundreds all over the place. And intermixed in it, before I, I do my little review and some sound bites, Jessica Chastain blasts Game of Thrones for using rape as empowerment. In there, Chastain did not pressure the way the show, which has been exploited women in every which way imaginable, handled the transformation of Sansa Stark in a recent episode in which she suggests that she developed gumption in part due to previous rape she endured. Chastain, Chastain said dialogue between the Hound 
and stark as they marked victory in the Battle of Winterville suggest the latter only possessed her strength because of the herring sexual assault she shuffled, she suffered from Ramsay Bolton. Without Littlefinger and Ramsay and the rest, I would have stayed a little bird my whole life. Other ones. Chris Saliza. Don't worry, I'm going to address that in a second. Because there's so much of this feminine undertones. He decided the 2020 Democrats as Game of Thrones characters. Beto O'Rourke as Jamie Lannister. Biden, Cersei. Uh, Harris as Danny. Buttlegs, Jon Snow. Booker, the flaming sword dude. Castro, that's what I wrote down because I can't remember his name. Barrick, I think it's Barrick. Castro, Rennie, Tulsi Gabbard, Gilly, Gillibrand, Yara, Amy Klobuchar, Arya, Bren, uh, Bernie Sanders, Eamon Tongarian, Warren, Bren of Tarth, and it goes on and on and on. Just so fucking stupid. Another one. Woke media complained Game of Thrones finale displayed peak white male privilege. From Vogue, disappointment is running high after Sunday's Game of Thrones finale and Chiefs among fans' grievances the fact that sniveling young white boy, often the least, like would-be Bran, ascended to the now-defunct Iron Throne. It's a plot twist that for many felt like peak white male privilege, especially chafing in light of deeper, deeply patriarchal Trump-era era political climate. An L magazine. Uh, felt even more depressing because they were recognizing, even to us, real-life non-Westerosi viewers. Twitter took note of these similarities between the throne's power struggle and how white men always seem to succeed, irregardless, no matter what. By putting Bran on the throne, Game of Thrones reveals the show, or at least Westeros, as a huge bias against win- women. L.A. Times, Meredith Black. How Game of Thrones wronged its female characters in the series finale. It illustrated in microcosm the gender blind spots. Vox. I read this one by accident because I woke up early Monday morning. Game of Thrones was initially built on a premise of subverting established high fantasy tropes. And surely one of the most innate fantasy tropes of all involves the idea that only men are fit to rule. Bunch of male shoulders feel deeply regressive and thoughtless. I'm not reading anymore. That That's how the left always made this show. The left always takes every goddamn thing on the planet and make it political. No, Jessica Chastain. Sansa Stark isn't saying my fucking rape made me who I am. It's dialogue in the, uh, the episode to portray that everybody from Theon Greyjoy, who was just told by Bran the night before, technically, in the fight of Winterfell, that everything you did got you here. I'm basically, in short prose, I'm forgiving you for fucking taking over this castle. He said it to Jamie Lannister. It brought to you where you are, and Jamie Lannister... tossed his little ass out of a window and is the reason he's paralyzed. Everybody's character arc was coming to full circle. So, every other scene shows, including the scene where Sansa in what, season six or seven, there's six, Battle of Bastards, 
let Ramsey get eaten by his fucking hounds. So I think Sansa's pretty closed the book on that. She doesn't trust anybody. But that is her character arc. The horrible things being betrayed by Littlefinger and being butt raped by that piece of shit Ramsey. It made her who she was. See, I'm an independent conservative. I see it as what people say who are fucking adults and don't spend their whole time blaming the world for why they're unsuccessful or not rich or not very good looking, why they don't have hair, why their dick doesn't work. Whatever the reason, adults go, well, you know what? Without this, I wouldn't be where I am. On the show numerous times, I'm a nobody. And I said, the bankruptcy of people fucking me over on an assumption of a loan when I was a kid and I didn't know what the fuck it was, shouldn't have done it. I was 22. It was the best thing that could happen to me. It made me work harder. I had to go through 11 years of bullshit, paying high interest rates on used piece of shit cars. I, I wasn't late on payments. I had never done anything wrong financially. But it made me who I was. The hardships make you who you are. And that's what these characters were doing. To Saliza, no, nothing in Westeros is the Democratic Party. Arya does not symbolize the Me Too movement. It's a fucking show. I say that every podcast. It's a show. These aren't real people. It doesn't exist. It's fantasy. It's written about a period where women really were treated like shit. See, for Jessica Chastain and the Me Too's and all these feminazis running around, you still think we're in the either Game of Thrones or The Handmaid Tale where men are keeping you down and you don't get paid the same, even though the statistics show it's all bullshit because most women don't work as much as men because they have kids. You are just baby factories. Well, sorry about that. That's just biology. I'm sure there's a lot of beta male who would pop out a pup for you, but they're just not able to do it at this point in time. I mean, seriously. Medieval time, women were nothing unless they were the queen. They were either whores, handmaids, fucking midwives, or just trying to scratch out a survival of getting some food for their family. It was rough rough times, and testicles did matter. But we're not there. Just because Hillary Clinton didn't get elected doesn't mean the world's there. There are plenty of women leaders out there. But the problem is, every time a woman leader comes out that might have a shot, and she has a little R next to her name, you say no, she's a piece of shit, and you put people up like Hillary Clinton. You could have put anybody else with boobs and a vajayjay, and they probably would have beat Trump. But you put the worst fucking person on the planet with more baggage than American Airlines, and you lose, and now you're saying it's the patriarchy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Our society is nothing like Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale. If anything, American society is nothing like the world. Ain't nobody in a burka. Ain't nobody not be able to fucking have a job, fucking drive a car. No. 
You need to get out of the United States and see the world, and maybe you'll get your head out of your fucking ass and realize America treats women really, really good. They really do. We put women on pedestals. Women run everything in most houses. Men just ask, can I have a tic-tac? I've been married 32 fucking years. That's my life, man. I bought a Stark banner for nine bucks that got my ass chewed like I went out and bought a $9,000 fucking rifle. Oh, no. No, that shit's right. So there's my politics on the Game of Thrones. For me, uh, yeah, this wasn't good. There was no way they were going to make this episode good. There's no way they can make everybody fucking happy. Already, you, you have a show that is tribal. You're either a Danny tribe. A few people I met were actually Lannisters, which really freaks me the fuck out. Or you were the Starks. That's what tribe you're in. There was no way you could get this thing to a close, end it out with a few twists, and make everybody happy. So they went with the path of least resistance. If you... Look, I lie right now. People want to redo the fucking thing as we reported last podcast. There's people that are fucking cursing. There's there's actually actors getting butt hurt, like Maisie Williams, I think is her name, and uh, Sophie Turner. She fucking put it on blaster and went off on everybody that, you know, everybody worked so hard, yada, yada, yada. She's right, by the way. <clears throat> Watch the goddamn thing like it's Netflix. I ended that thing going, you know, the ending with all the Starks, yada, yada, great. Uh, the scene where John kills Danny, oh my God, great scene, loving embrace. If you were watching, you saw the, the dagger come out, but if, you know, I didn't catch it, and you just see her face and then blood, and you're like, holy fuck, he killed her. I can't believe he fucking killed her. Yeah, the dragon melted the throne was really fucking stupid, but... You then go watch it all six episodes, which I did because, you know, I couldn't do podcasting. Didn't have a left hand and I'm left-handed. <clears throat> it made sense. You can really see the change in Danny and she's a psycho. If episode five didn't make you realize her and Grey Worm were not done. They were going to continue killing fucking everything. Anybody stood in their way, anybody who was sighted, if you were with the other family, you're fucked. She had already stated Sansa Stark had committed treason. So she was going to wipe out the Starks, and John was going to be one of the Starks, because she was she trusted nobody. She lost Sandy um, of Noth, she lost fucking the dude, she lost everybody. She's down to one dragon and fucking Grey Worm. And, and they even did that. Oh, she's not eating. She's not seeing anybody. And then you go to her chamber and there's Grey Worm. She does her fucking I am Adolf Hitler Mussolini speech. Makes him the master of war, which is pretty much telling John, I don't trust you. She is a dictator. And in that speech, she said she was going to go everywhere. She was going to fuck shit up until the wheel was broken. And in her mind, she believed it. If you watch it in entirety of a Netflix series, which you would, and then it all makes sense more, the Tyrion statement, and when John comes to visit him, I mean, it makes total sense. They had enabled this woman 
every time she did something horrible. John stood and watched her <coughs> carbonize fucking Varys. And then she wanted to have sex. I mean, that's just not natural, man. You just had a really big pet motherfucking torch somebody. I am not in the mood. There's not enough Viagra out there to get me horny right at this point in time. So she was not stable. He's got to protect his family. Boom. That all made sense. What didn't make sense was, as stated, the throne. Why the dragon melted the throne. I know he he knew he was Targaryen, so he wouldn't kill a Targaryen. And he was pissed. And maybe that was foreshadowing that all along... We had scenes where that dragon was looking at John when they were uh, tongue wrestling by the wa- the waterfall, and maybe that was a statement of, "Hey, dude, that's your aunt." I mean, maybe these animals were a little more they were paying more attention than we think they do. I mean, he knew his mom was dead. He got up instantly and flew around. So maybe that's why they did that scene. I don't know. The problems are the disconnects because you just stop. And then we're in a council, and a bunch of fucking people that were B players for the whole series are now in charge, but you have to think everybody else is fucking dead. Everybody's died. I mean, millions of people have died to this point in time. If you really look at, not millions, probably a million, if you look at all the battles, the Battle of the Bastard, the battle with the Night King, the battle for fucking King's Landing, where she is just torching everybody, there's not a lot of lords and ladies left, so this is what's left. And you have Grey Worm, who owns the city. He's got Tyrion, and he's got Jon. I've heard a lot of people freak out about, well, he would have just killed him. No, he wouldn't. He was a soldier up until that point in his life. He's slowly getting more power to be in charge of other soldiers. But he doesn't do anything unless he's told. If you watch it entirely, once again, you see that scene where he's off in fucking Lannister's. And John goes, hey, no, don't do that. And he's like, my queen told me, go fuck yourself, dick. And he goes to fucking killing. Because that's what he is. He's given orders. He goes, kills motherfuckers. That's his job. I can totally relate. That was my job. Except we had more morals. We don't shoot kids and uh, we don't have dragons. So maybe it's not a lot like what I did. But, you know... that's a soldier's job. So he couldn't make that decision off Tyrion. He couldn't make that decision off John. That's why they did the little scene that said, choose. Somebody had to give him an answer. And when they gave the answer, we're just going to let John the fuck go. He stood up for the first time. He goes, no, it's not enough. He killed my queen. I mean, it made sense. But it would have been better if you... Broke it down. You had some time where at least like most of the people that are professional podcasters on this subject would say, you know, having John give himself up to Grey Worm and say, I did it, when in perfect Game of Thrones fashion, there was no body, there's no crime. <laughs> All he had to say is, hey, fucking Rogon came in here and just fucking grabbed her and took the fuck off, dude. I don't know what's going on. You know, he could have done that. that that's what a Lannister would have done. But, you know, he could have done the whole Ned Stark honor, I did it. And they kind of allude it when they go to his little dungeon and he goes, did I do the right thing? And Tyrion goes, in 10 years, come talk to me. 10 years, come talk to me. 
that's when we'll know. Because they never let her really lead. And I thought it was very crafty how she does the Mussolini-Hitler speech, and then she's a little girl. And, you know, I, I think not only is the Tyrion... The story ties people together, and that's the beauty of Game of Thrones, that it's tied a country that is very, very divisive, basically because of Democrats who make everything political. They're making all, I, I just did a smi- a slicing. I didn't want to go super politics, so I want Saturday to be, I want to try something different just to do it. But the, the point is, it brought people together amazingly. But on top of that, it's not only the production value, it is the actors. I mean, if you look at uh, Peter Dinklage from season one, where he's just a fucking whore fucker, to that unbearing Jamie and Cersei scene. See how I'm reviewing the episode without reviewing the episode? Pretty pretty cool. Nobody's done this, so that's why I tried something different today. Everybody else is going through the episode, but I wanted to do it this way. Um, that is amazing acting. I mean, I literally almost got teary-eyed, and I fucking wanted Cersei to die so bad. I was so pissed she died the way she did. I wanted Jamie to live, because Jamie had done a course correction. He was a good man. He was honorable, even though he fucked his sister. But, you know... the he was a good dude, but that scene was amazing. The way he just with his face. If you look at this season across the board, Kit Harrington, Amelia Clark, those two characters had less dialogue in this season than they've ever had, but they conveyed way more. Amelia Clark and the Bells just having the meltdown and going full dragon. To the scene where she dies. The, I mean, the way that she conveyed love to horror to death. It was amazing. Jon Snow during the Battle of the Bells. Up until that point with all the different, hey, you're the guy. You need to be the guy. His pause. His looking. His facial expressions of showing the personal struggle of this person. Character, I know he's not real. I'm not trying to be like everybody else. He knows it's the right thing. He knows she's going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but he's fighting with his own personal norms and honor and values. And he's struggling so bad. And then through the bells where his people are turning into fucking <clears throat> Dothraki and fucking the fuckers, the Freaking uh, uh, salt throne motherfuckers. My brain just locked. Uh, Arya and Theon, those dipshits, raping and pillaging. And he's watching it, and he's just in this quandary of, oh my god, what the fuck are we doing? Especially the scene where he looks at a Lannister soldier, the pieces of fucking shit that have wreaked nothing but pain and suffering on everybody for every season of the show. They're saving civilians. And Northmen are killing civilians. Once again, if you watch it in totality, it's like it flows. It makes more sense. Yes, they left key shit out. They left it out. It was bullshit. We needed more input. We needed to at least see the capturing of John. Maybe a little beat down. 
Sansa fine, you know, getting that fucking Concord Raven that just shows the fuck up the next scene because they've had a compressed time and she's pissed and she's going to bring people together. Blah, 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 blah. Next thing that makes no sense is Bran. There's a lot of people say Bran is the guy and Bran manipulated everything and Bran said he doesn't want to be in charge, but now he came there to do it and Bran can see the future and the past and Bran let all this shit happen. That's way too deep for this guy. You know, my fantasy fucking level of TV was the fucking Hobbit, and I stopped. I didn't do no Lords of the Rings. I did the first three Star Wars. After that, when you're prequilling to what I watched with a bunch of robots and Jar Jar Binks, fuck that shit, I'm not watching it. So it's not my genre. But who else were they going to do? You can't give it to Sansa. It wouldn't have worked. Everybody else is fucking dead as stated. There's nobody really good left. Here you got a guy that can actually, he knows everything about us. He knows the future, the past, the history. He's probably going to live for a thousand fucking years. Let's make this guy be in charge because then we stop or stop, we break the wheel. There's no more just because you sprouted out of this dude's nutsack. You're going to be the king, right? We stop the whole monarch monarchy. And it goes back to, hey, let's just have one person, and then we come back again, and we make the next person, let's stop killing each other. In there is the crazy Sansa, I'm not bending the knee, okay, we're going to let you, and that's implausible, because Yara is a raver and a reaper, a raper and a raper, and all that bullshit they say. She would have been like, fuck that shit, huh? okay, then the, the fucking... Iron Islands, there it is. The Iron Islands want to be solo, but they couldn't put all that in there. They, they had to do something... To character arc, once again. Unlike Chastain, step one of Sansa's character arc, I live this. This is why I'm better. I'm better for it. The struggles I went through, even though it's horrendous as rape is, it made me who I am. And who I am as a person is going to stand the ground for the people of the North because now John's not there. And up until this point, all I've really done is do some scheming and go get the goddamn Knights of the Vale to help to save the bastards. But you've seen little character things where she's being a little bitch and saying this and saying that. And yeah, she busts through John. So if you want to take the dark side of the internet, you could say that Sansa's a bitch and Sansa got John fucked up because she couldn't shut her mouth. But it was going to get out anyway. So I mean, it's just too deep. Character arc. She does the right thing. For a thousand years, the North was not part of the Seven Kingdoms. We're not bending the knee because we lost the bulk of the people. You can't count the Unsullied. You can't count the Dothraki because the Unsullied get on a ship in Isnay. The Dothraki, who the fuck knows what happened to them? Because they just said, fuck it, we're not going to finish that whole plot. Made it kind of look like they were policemen, which makes no fucking sense because they're all a bunch of rapers, but whatever. And... We're gonna we we are going to be our own kingdom because we saved everybody. Makes sense to me. Character arc finishes, and then we go into the ending. And the ending to me was fantastic montage, owing a little bit to Rambo and a little bit into freaking uh What's another movie that does that at the end? Ah, fuck, it doesn't matter. Got the Rambo scene. Everybody's kitting the fuck up with their little gear, whatever they're doing. Um, but it shows these three kids moving on their way. And if you watch the show, 
from beginning to end, one family got fucked the most, and it was the Starks. Dad beheaded, mom and brother, who was the king of the north, gets fucking killed at the Red Wedding. The kids are scattered. Rickon gets axed. Sansa gets sold off to the fucking Ramsey motherfucker. I mean, it's just a shitty thing. John goes and becomes a freaking takes the black because he's a bastard, then frees the free folk, gets killed by his own people, becomes king of the north, almost loses to Ramsey, and then does the right thing and advocates his throne to just let Danny come because without it, he's going to die. That's why they put that nice little scene in where Arya goes, I totally understand what you did because Sansa's bashing him still for abdicating the throne, but it was what he had to do. He had to save the people. He had two fucking dragons and a shitload of people. And nobody wanted to go do this because it's still a mystical concept. It's the old ages. It was a thousand years ago. The White Walker, that old scene I played a couple podcasts ago, the little midwife lady going, Oh, the, the winter's 17 years long where it's cold and the mother puts the baby on the bosom. Remember that scene? So, I mean, this is like mystical shit. It's like saying, you know... There's UFOs in our current world. I mean, nobody believes this shit, so they're not going to come to the fight, and I'm digressing. Point of the matter is, this scene to me was one of the most beautiful endings to a show, and then we'll talk about John, and I'll stop talking about Game of Thrones, because that's probably not why you tune in, but I was really into this show, so here it goes. <laughs> you can tell I'm on too much pain medicine. I can't play that scene because there's no fucking thing to play. It's music. <laughs> yeah, I can edit that out, but I won't. So for those that didn't watch it and want to hear it, it is the montage of John kitting the fuck up, leaving Castle Black with a free folk, getting his reunion with Snow or with a ghost, and him and Tormund take the free folk beyond the wall Sansa's getting coronated where she's got the werewolf leaf. That was a big thing because they're showing the lineage of the North plus the wolf tiara that looks or crown that looks just like Cersei's. And for some reason, Arya becomes uh, fucking Christopher Columbus. I still don't understand that one, but that was her arc. She had said it in season six, I believe, when she was still with the faceless motherfuckers and she's with Lady Crane. And she says, what's west of Westeros? Nobody knows. That's where I want to go. So they tied in a lot of loose loose ends. The sadness for me was that John did his character arc and went back to where he was. And I was a big John guy because in the book, supposedly, I've never read it, Homie dies, he doesn't come back to life. In the series, he comes back to life. And he's the reason the free folks are alive. He's the reason that the world is alive because he's the one that kept sounding the clarion's call that this some bad shit coming. We need to do the right thing and come together. Let it go. We got to kill this motherfucker. And even though he doesn't end up killing the motherfucker, he saves the world. And then he kills the woman he loves. Because regardless of his aunt, they were in love and he realizes she's the wrong one. She's going to fuck up the world. i got to do the right thing. And he kills her. And his reward for all of that is being banished. But, 
going back to the Netflix concept. If you watch it scene for scene, before he goes down to King's Landing, he's with Tormund, and he says, I wish I was going with you. He wanted to live in the North. He didn't want to be king. He didn't want to be the king of the North. He didn't want to be king of the Seven Kingdoms. He didn't want to do any of this fucking shit. His honor made him do it. He just wanted to go be with the free folk. So I was butthurt Sunday. And then yesterday, you know, Monday and Tuesday, I complete all six episodes. Holy shit. Okay, that made sense now. But more importantly, they wanted to close the book like it started. I'm going to play a little bit of a soundbite. This is the opening scene to episode one, season one. Expect the savages. 
One lot steals a goat from another lot, before you know it, they're ripping each other to pieces. I've never seen wildlings do a thing like this. I've never seen a thing like this, not ever in my life. How close did you get? Close as any man would. We should head back to the wall. Do the dead frighten you? Our orders were to track the wildlings. We tracked them. Okay, so to break it down, basically, they're leaving Castle Black. They're walking into the fucking woods. And it starts the pattern of White Walkers, Winter's Coming, Dude runs because everybody gets whacked by this white walker that looks nothing like what we see at the end it's like a dude that looks more like the ultimate warrior from the wwe or what was that called the wcw back in the day that's when i watched wrestling um well i've been watching it lately but when i really didn't know it was fake um (laughs) um literally nothing like it was the blue eyes were blue eyes but the people looked great because they didn't have a cgi budget so They wanted to close on what they began. People walking north of the wall into free folk country. It was like a full circle. We started with this winter is coming concept. We got introduced to the Starks because like I was starting to say, the guy runs, gets south of the fucking wall, runs into Ned Stark. Ned Starks whacks him and there's Bran fucking Rickon, fucking Rob, and fucking Ned Stark, all there, and Jon Snow, and that's how we start the series, so they wanted to end it that way, so to me, it made sense, it just made sense, um, I thought it was pretty damn good, and, and I, once again, we're gonna finish this, because I've talked for fucking half an hour or, or so on a subject probably not a lot of people care about, but, um, there's no ending that's going to make you happy. Ten years you've been invested, and I think if you look at it on the scheme of what it did for us, it doesn't matter what the show ended like. It brought us all together, and I think that's something we just don't have anymore. There are 400 fucking channels on my TV package, plus Hulu, plus Netflix, plus Amazon. We all don't watch the same shit. We don't believe the same shit. We all have different thoughts on everything from fucking transgender rights to Jessica Chastain. The TV shows are fucking real and shit, and that's a portrayal of modern society. We're about to go into Handmaid's. Oh, don't worry. We'll be ruining the viewing that shit episode by episode like we did last year. I mean, literally, this was one of the rare shows that brought everybody together regardless of class. It just brought you together. And we saw production values and acting that we will never see again. I don't think in my lifetime we will see shows like this. Every person in this show was A-game. A-game. From season one, which I think was 2011, till now, it has just been fantastic. So, I am a fan of who's not going on the internet and saying, rewrite the show. I want a season nine. The D and D boys are fuckheads and they were working on star Wars. I mean, Aaron Rodgers said that show. I think they've been a little busy on star Wars. No, there is no ending. There's just no ending. That's going to make you happy. There's just no fucking way. The story is too intricate. It's been too long. It 
could go on for infinity, but these actors gave up their lives for fucking 10 years. They couldn't do a whole lot of other projects, and when the ones they did weren't breakouts. It's over. Look for the prequel. The prequel is supposed to be, as of this morning, not Arya Columbo. I don't know why the fuck people wanted that shit. That's that politics shit again. That's not it. Literally, it's supposed to be before the first man. It's supposed to be the children of the forest, which is the cave drawings and the scenes with Bran at the fucking, with the three-eyed raven and how we made the Night King. We've seen a scene on it, but this is supposed to be up until that point, a thousand years before the current scene we saw now. And it's already in production writing, I guess, but it's years off. Um, so, Hey, that might not be as good as this one, but I know I'll tune in because this is at least one fantasy I'm going to, I'm going to glue into. Um, I, I pretty fucking badass. Uh, for other things, I wanted to close on positives. I'm going to play a Stark soundbite, uh, with the pack survives quote to end this little segment. Um, but there are other shows, the tutors for those that are in this genre. I, I like the tutors. Um, Vikings is close. If you don't watch that, that's a fantastic show. Yeah, after <coughs> Rhaegar died, it's not as good. My wife likes it, and the whole fucking thing with Floki off and what's supposed to be Iceland, I think, um, which is true. They actually formed that state um, or country. I don't think that's a, as good. Um, another one we watched was uh, The Kingdom on Netflix. I think it was called The Kingdom. That was okay. So, there are other things. Queen Elizabeth, don't watch that fucking movie thing. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, about the Irish, Scottish and Irish queens. Elizabeth, I think it was called. That was fucking horrible. But there are other ones you can watch. Uh, the Tudor one actually had um, the really pretty gal that was uh, married to uh, the younger boy of Cersei. What was his fucking name? Guy jumped out the goddamn window. Um, she's in that. Nat- Natalie Dormer. Beautiful lady. Um, don't tell my wife, but she's just gorgeous. Um, so she's in there. Um, so anyway, that's the last one we'll do on this. We're going to close out, like I said, with the Starks Pack Survives quote and a nice little montage about the Starks. Music break. New song by Slipknot, hell yeah, unsainted. Saw it on uh, Kimmel. I didn't watch Kimmel. I watched it on YouTube because right, I follow them, but I won't watch Kimmel. And then we're going to go into news, social, media nuggets. When the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. You're a Stark of Winterfell. You know our words. Winter is coming. And in the winter, we must protect ourselves, look after one another. Farewell, Snow. And you, Stark. I need to find my brother and mother. Time for bed. And my sister. I'm your brother. I have to protect you. Right now, I have to protect you. We'll ring your head like a bell. We cannot fight a war amongst ourselves. We can't fight a war amongst ourselves. When the snows fall, 
when the white winds blow. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. There must always be a staff in Winterfell. They've all gone away. So I'll be back soon. Rob will free father. And I'll come back with mother. I wonder. How many times did Bran or Rickon stare across the moors of Winterfell waiting for me to return? I will never see them again. No, they won't. Lady Sansa, at the gate. Tell Sansa her sister's home. We never should have left Winterfell. Don't you wish we could go back to the day we left? We will all be together again soon, I promise. Rob is gone, but House Stark is not. The North remembers. Winterfell is our home. It's ours. And Arya's and Bran's and Rickon's, wherever they are, it belongs to our family. We have to fight for it. A monster has taken our home and our brother. The wolf is of the North. She deserves better than a butcher. I am a Stark. I will always be a Stark. And now it begins. No. Now it ends. No! Jon Snow avenged the Red Wedding. He is the White Wolf. They call him the Young Wolf. The King in the North. The King in the North! The King in the North! Show them how it feels to lose what they love. You're going to die tomorrow, Lord King. Sleep well. The last thing you're ever going to see is the Starks winding down on you as you die. Tell Lord Tywin, winter is coming. Tell them winter came for House of Leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. A Brandon Stark of Winterfell. I'm Sansa Stark of Winterfell. A girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell. This is my home and you can't frighten me. And I'm going home. I wasn't drowning. I was home. It's time for me to go home. We'll all go home. For good. Where will you go? Where will we go? There's only one place we can go. Home. The Northerners will never forget.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me Bad Company. And I can deny Bad Company till the day I die. Till the day I die. This, this is this is something, man. This is. This is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself... Get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. Military Corner from Connecticut to Normandy. Vintage planes helped mark 75th anniversary of D Day, which is just unbelievable. 75 years. 75 years after dropping airborne troops into Nazi-occupied France, vintage war planes bearing black and white invasion stripes of Operation Overlord are set to take off from Connecticut on Sunday for return flight to Europe. Placid Lassie, D-Day Doll, that's all brother and other planes of D-Day squadrons, are to depart from Waterbury Oxford Airport and leapfrog across the Atlantic to take part in DAX over Normandy. The international gathering of volunteer pilots, crews, and historic planes is to culminate on June 5th with a jump by about 250 paratroopers in the same drop zones used in the June 6, 1944 invasion. A companion story to this, Special Forces soldiers <coughs> parachute over Mont St. Michael and honor World War II fighters. 135 Special Forces soldiers jumped from three Air Force aircraft above the ancient Mont St. Michael Abbey in Normandy as part of the commemoration for the upcoming 75th anniversary of D-Day. The 352nd Special Operation Wing and 86th Airlift Wing delivered the 10th Special Forces Group airborne soldiers on, a sa- on Saturday to the drop zone, which was a little over a mile from Mont St. Michael. The event was sponsored by the nearby town of Avaranches, which was liberated by U- U.S. forces in 1944. The soldiers greeted the crowds and then headed to Avaranche for a wreath laying at General George S. Patton Jr.'s memorial and a ceremonial toast for the town mayor. The event Saturday recalls the original Jedburg three-man teams that jumped behind enemy lines to train, arm, and direct local resistance fighters. The teams included about 300 total Allied troops from the entire Allied forces. So I thought that was kind of cool. Then I found this one because, you know, June 6th is a big deal, folks. Um, it's just unbelievable that, you know, we've covered it on the show. It's just unbelievable. DNA tests uncovered D-Day love story 75 years later. After decades of searching, Andre, Andre, excuse me, Gantois had lost hope. The retired French postal worker figured he'd likely go to his grave without ever knowing who his father was, able, unable to identify the U.S. serviceman who had fought his way across France after the D-Day landings, taken a bullet to the skull and been nursed back to health in a military hospital by Gantois' mother. Into his 70s, Gantois still had no clue to 
clues to pursue, no name to work with, no paper trail to follow. As a consequence, he also had no peace. Um, let's see. Sorry, the big picture, of course, well-known, meticulously documented, personally conserved, to be told and retold for generations to come. The greatest ever amphibious landing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, years later, their enduring holes in the narrative among the thick Normandy hedgerows was German troops dug in. Okay, this story kind of sucks. Um, trying to get to it. Long story short, through DNA, they found his dad. God, this thing, I should have edited it. It's freaking horrible. It goes on forever. Well, it's not horrible. It's a great story, but that's not the point. The point is you want to find out, you know, he, he got to find his dad, which is pretty cool. The five most legendary snipers of all time brought to you by uh, Military.com. Number five, U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Adelbert Waldron. As a member of the 9th Infantry Division, he was assigned to PBR boats patrolling the Mekong Delta at one point making a confirmed kill from a moving boat at 900 yards. He set his record of 109 kills in just eight months, which was the record until Chris Kyle broke it during the Iraq War. Wow. Kyle, um, not belittling what he did, he's, he's a freaking American hero. He he did it in the desert. This guy did it in the jungle. That, that's def- definitely some hard shooting. Uh, number four, Red Army Captain Vasily Zatstev. Between November 10th and December 17th, 1942, during the Battle of Stalingrad, Zastev killed 225 soldiers and officers of the Wehrmacht and other Axis armies, including 11 enemy snipers. Before that, he killed 32 Axis soldiers. The standard-issue rifle between October 1942 and January 1943, he made an estimated 400 kills some at a distance of more than 1,100 yards. And you got to think with the scopes they had. Sweet Lord, that's some good shooting. U.S. Navy Chief Petty Officer Chris Kyle, of course. Kyle served four tours during the Iraq War, and during that time became the most lethal sniper in U.S. military history with over 160 kills, officially confirmed by the Department of Defense. Kyle's best-selling book, American Sniper, we know about it. He was sadly killed on a range back home. Number two, U.S. Marine Corps Gunnery Sergeant Carlos Norman Hathcock. Everybody's heard of this guy if you're in uniform. During the Vietnam War, Hathcock had 93 confirmed kills in North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong personnel, which meant they occurred with an officer present in addition to a spotter. He estimated the number of unconfirmed kills to be upward of 400. His war fighting career ended when he was wounded by an anti-take mine in 1969. He was sent home. He then established the USMC Sniper School. And then number one, Finnish Army 2nd Lieutenant Simo Haya. Haya! H-A-Y-H-A. I don't know how to say it. Nicknamed White Death, Simo Haya tallied 505 kills, far and away the highest count from any major war. All of Haya's kill of Red Army combatants were accomplished in fewer than 100 days an average of just over five kills per day at a time of year which very few daylight hours. He was wounded late in the war when an explosive bullet shot by a Soviet soldier took off his lower left jaw. He lived a long life, however, and he died at 96. When asked if he regretted killing so many people, he said, I only did my duty and what I was told to do as well as I could. Good for him. And then lastly... Those are familiar with the show. I, I did podcast from Blytheville, Arkansas, in a hotel. Actually, the uh, manager of 
that hotel listened to my podcast. We never talked about it. She was listen- She showed me FOP on her phone. She just found it by accident. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Blythville turning ex-military base into a Cold War museum. It was an Air Force base that was closed down. And it's huge. It's right there. So um, Blytheville is transforming the decommissioned Air Force Base into a Cold War museum. The city released plans last month to build the Blytheville Air Force Base National Cold War Museum on the site of the former Strategic Air Command Base that shut down in 1992. The Arkansas Business reported. Liz Smith, Executive Director of Blytheville Chamber of Commerce, and supporters of the project are feeling the nostalgia and zeal. It had bowled me over, really having worked here at the Director of Chamber of Commerce for 15 years. Blah, 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 blah. Smith noted that there's a capital fund drive that seeks to raise $20 million. The city is aiming to open a small exhibit by fall. Interactive displays, two aircraft, and a renovated alert facility are part of the complete plan. Smith said it was vital to have an exhibit in place, ideally by Veterans Day, in order to interact, interest the Air Force in lending a decommissioned B-52 bomber and KC-135. So, that would be neat. I'd go there. Take pictures for my pops. My stepfather was in Air Force. He loves looking at them planes. To our college crazy, we're going to have a video to start it, or audio in our case. And these are pro-life people on campuses talking about their Sims moments on how they were treated by other Americans who are fucking assholes. So what brings you out here today? Um, just to stand up for the injustices um, and the bullying from Brian Sims himself. I mean, this is a man who is in politics who's re- representing the people who he's bullying himself. Um, and that's just an injustice and we need all of us to come out here and show that like this is, we, we won't stand for this and that we do stand for the people who have no voices. Well, I saw the whole thing on Brian Sims and th- that was just despicable how he was harassing that poor old lady and I wanted to be here to support and stand in solidarity for all the unborn children who were murdered and for that old lady who was praying for them. We came out here for Brian Sims. <laughs> Those videos, I mean, you just can't do that and get away with it. So, figured it'd be well worth the drive, and it was. I'm glad that we were all able to come here and kind of show our support for the pro-life movement and to let them know that we won't be idle and stand by. This is like our home turf. Um, I've been outside this clinic, so when I saw those videos, it was alarming. It was like, oh my gosh, I've been there. That could have been me. And so the fact that this kind of stuff from our own state representatives is happening basically right under um, our nose, my nose, uh, you know, our organization, um, we definitely felt like we needed to come out and represent and be here. There have been some talks here today at this rally about calling for Sims to resign. What do you think about that? Yes, I absolutely think he should resign. There's no, no politician should ever come out and bully their own constituents. No man should shame elderly women and children that in no way is representing, like, what our First Amendment right is, the freedom of speech. There's no way that he should be in office. I think he should resign. I think he has, he's not serving the people. He is attacking the people he disagrees with. And he's supposed to be helping everyone, and he's not. He's supposed to be a public servant, and to be out here acting, acting that man and harassing women and everything, it's definitely not what they're preaching. And I think actions definitely speak louder than words. Yep. 
what do you think uh, Brian should do? Brian Sims, the state representative. What do you think he should do in response to what's happening here today? Um, I think he should acknowledge it. Uh, definitely not uh, sweep it under the rug. I think that he should issue a real apology. He gave something of an apology, but it was... Uh, he, he, he wasn't really. He was still uh, standing up for what he did. Um, so I think he should issue, issue a real apology. And, um, I mean... God willing, uh, I hope that he changes his mind and opinions on these issues. None of us are here for ourselves. We're all here for the unborn. Uh, just rallying together and standing up against this massive organization. So this type of intolerance and this hatred towards pro-lifers outside of Planned Parenthood, is that anything that you experience on college campus as a pro-life advocate? Absolutely. Um, we have an extremely liberal campus, uh, both in the student body and also uh, in the administration. Um, and, uh, you know, we get called out uh, num numerous times throughout the year for uh, very simple displays that, you know, we're simply either we're stating facts um, or or it's a, it's a peaceful display in which we don't even have any signs up. So we'll do Cemetery of the Innocents. It's a graveyard display. And, uh, you know, in past years, we've had it ripped up. Um, we've had people who walk by and they throw condoms at the at the uh, at the graveyard. Um it got to the point where we had to station people outside of the, like around the graveyard, just so that people wouldn't tear it up. Even though it's just, it's supposed to be a quiet, peaceful display. It's supposed to speak for itself. We're not necessarily supposed to have people there um, talking about it or or guarding it. Definitely not that. Um, but we've had to do that now. And uh, it was actually about a month ago we did it again, and uh, we tried doing it without having anyone around it. Um, and uh, we hung up signs saying how many babies each cross represents. Uh, and people would try to tear the signs down. I had to walk up to them and be like, hello, what are you doing? I'm Emma Michelle with Campus Reform. And if you like what you just saw, you can click here to donate so that we can keep making videos like this. Or you can click here to subscribe to be the first to see our new content. Or you could do both. Thanks. Yeah, that's nice, but not surprising. It just doesn't. Because our first story pretty much sums it up. Disturbing number of students say hate speech is not free speech, report says. A new report has revealed that a supporter of the First Amendment among college students seems to be decreasing as nearly half of students believe that hate speech should not be protected. Conducted by the Knight Foundation, the survey revealed that 41% of college students believe hate speech should not be protected under the First Amendment, while 58% believe that it should be protected. While the majority of students believe that hate speech would be should be protected, 53% of college women contend it should not be protected, as well as the majority of black students. Over half of college students agree that shouting speakers down is always or sometimes acceptable. At the same time, 83% of college students agree that using violence to end an event is never acceptable. The rest of this, just 6 in 10 black students, um, believe that inclusivity is more important than free speech, while 49% of Hispanic students believe the same thing. Basically, what we've done is, through the Democratic Party, brainwashed all minorities that everybody who's white's evil, everybody who talks about anything other than liberal causes is evil. And the problem with this, hate speech is bullshit. Hate speech, hey, you fucking faggot, hey, you N-word, hey, you this, that, that's hateful. We should kill all Jews. Well, that's pretty much what uh, Tlaib and Omar like. They like people who say we should kill all Jews. So clearly that's not hate speech to them, but, but the point is, 
That's hate speech. What's considered hate speech on our campuses, we prove week in and week out, is anything they don't believe in. From the 95 pronouns to you shouldn't be able to fucking tweet bullshit like Omar and Tlaib. No, because you're black doesn't mean you can do whatever the fuck you want. Or because you're Spanish. Or because you're a woman. Or because you're white. Or because everything. But the Democrats don't have anything else. What they run on is fear. Everybody who's white is a racist. I mean, I dog Lemon and CNN. Which this is a CNN free show, which is just bizarre. Don't worry, I'll make up for it on Saturday. But the point of the matter is, he's just saying what they all think. Every white man is a terrorist. Punching white people who don't agree with you, may be pro-life or whatever, Chris Cuomo says is okay. That's morally acceptable. That's what these people believe. So I'm not saying hate speech is great. The definition of what hate speech is is an ever fucking changing Rubik Cube of what they can't win at. So when they're not winning things, be it abortion or whatever, they just start spinning new shit, new words, new this. California professor crams Game of Thrones into white supremacy framework. I was going to put it up front, but it belongs in our college crazy. He expanded on his view that Game of Thrones is a reflection of white supremacy in a Saturday interview alleging that the main black male character must be literally castrated to be good. Antioch University professor Timothy Malone commented on his essay for left-wing publication Truthout titled The Real Monster in Game of Thrones is its hidden reactionary ideology during the interview with Salon. The black man, Grey Worm, must be literally castrated to be good, to be safe, was his exact tweet. In his original essay, described Game of Thrones as a show about our relation to the prison, our obsession to disappear people who once on the other side of the wall are not people anymore. The wall represents the boundaries of us as a nation and those who are not us and must be excluded, the criminal and the immigrant. He compared the wildlings beyond the wall to poor whites and the white walkers or others to racial others. It is whiteness as social capital. You may be poor and at the bottom of the hierarchy, but at least you're not black, or in this case, an eye zombie. That's why the wildings were located beyond the wall, the prison. In the show, they become deputized in the struggle against white walkers. In reality, the device has been to turn some percentage of them into cops and prison guards with good benefits to ensure their loyalty and white supremacist capital. Jesus friggin' Christ, this goes on forever. I'm not reading anymore. It's a show. It's a fantasy. I mean, the showrunners were so pressured by this that they put in scenes where Masandi of Noth and Grey Worm are treated differently because their skin color. That was the inference. And then there wasn't enough black people in Westeros. This is, like, supposed to be 16th, 17th, I don't know, what's the time period? Nobody really knows, but it's, like, back in the day. So, no, there hadn't been a lot of migration, whites to Africa, or Africans to what I believe is this Britain, theoretically. Uh, come on, man. Jesus. My wife thinks I'm a kook because I'm doing this and talking about the plot. But as stated in the opening, and I'll state one last time, you 
fucking liberals have to fuck everything up with your politics. Next professor said, Senators don't deserve your civility. He gets tenured status. Yeah. My, his, some of his um, tweets, he goes by insurgent professor. Mega teens or modern day Hitler Jugenden got a uniform and everything. The University of Mississippi professor said that U.S. senators don't deserve a civility. Just days after Senator Ted Cruz was ran out of a Washington, D.C. restaurant by anti-Kavanaugh protesters, was granted tenure. And this was an update from him. It's Mississippi Public University. James Thomas, he is still good to go. That's who I want teaching my kids. We need the next generation to learn that if you don't agree with people, they do not have freedom because we're fucking fascists. You know, I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million times till Trump's out of office. The very people who are so in fear of fascism are the fascists. You've done nothing but show fascist ideology since November 9th. 2016. And that's coming from a guy who doesn't like Trump. I made it quite evident for fucking 330 fucking podcasts. He ain't my guy. But you're worse. You're just worse. He can't do anything. He can't get anything accomplished. You said it was bad for Obama. This guy can't get shit done. And all the while, you not only went after him, you went after his voters, white people, Fuckers in red hats with USC on it. That was just two podcasts ago. It was a USC hat. Lawrence Jones, SAT adversity score is insulting, implies people like me can't make it. He's a black conservative. Just wanted to read that because he's right. Campus backlash against Chick-fil-A spreads nationwide. And their report, this is from, once again, Campus Reform. Um, Trinity University, Ryder University... Youngstown State, John Hopkins University, DeBow University, I never heard of that, University of Nebraska Kearney, I think we covered them all on here, but a couple we might not have, so keep doing it. Then the number three retailer for food, folks, you're just going to keep making them better because every time you do a protest, a lot of people buy chicken, not white people. Not homophobes or transphobes, just people go, oh, okay, fuck you. I'm going to go eat them because they can have a goddamn opinion. He gave an opinion. An opinion. And oh, oh, he's evil because he donates to Christian organizations. Well, it's a Christian company, you bucketheads. Jesus. Dozens of graduate faculty members walk out on Mike Pence commencement speech. Dozens of Taylor University graduates and faculty members reportedly walked out of their own commencement ceremony. I have Vice President Mike Pence speaking there. According to multiple outlets, including Fox News, dozens of students graduating from the Indiana Christian University as well as the faculty members protested Pence's presence by staging a walkout, although most of the nearly 500 graduates stayed in place. I was really disappointed in Tyler's or Taylor's decision to welcome Pence as our commitment speaker, anonymous person said. The international Indianapolis Star spoke with students at the commencement ceremony about the vice president's invitation. Um, I think it was an inappropriate decision as presence makes it really difficult for everyone in the Taylor community to feel welcome and celebrated at our commencement. The walkout came after one Taylor University alumnus, Washington, D.C. resident Alex Hostra, 
created a change.org petition for him not to be able to do it, but they only got 8,000 signatures, which means it didn't do shit. Yeah, good job, people. <clears throat> Regardless of the backlash by a couple dozen people, Taylor University remains steadfast. Since making the announcement of Vice President Mike Pence's upcoming commencement speech, we received feedback from people on either side of the issue. Taylor University is an intentional Christian community that strives to encourage positive, respectful, and meaningful dialogue. So basically, if you're going to a Christian university and you think he's a bad man because he doesn't want to be in a room with a woman because he doesn't want to get me too'd and because he said he doesn't believe in gay marriage, you probably don't need to be going to that school. You probably just went there because you couldn't go anywhere else. So, yeah. That's on you. To show that the theory I have that the people saying everything's racist are the real racist, 75 American colleges offer black-only graduation ceremonies. 43% of surveyed colleges offer segregated residential halls. This organization refers to this as a neo-segregation. And later on in the article, it is requested by the people of color who don't want to be around white people. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. If anybody lower than the Mason-Dixon line had white-only anything, it would lead on all news, but that's not even a stat you ever heard of, have you? I hadn't. She was fired for giving a free lunch to a student with no money. Now she was refusing her job back. Several days after she was fired on April 9th, the former cafe service employee received a letter from Fresh Picks Cafe, division of her employer, which confirmed she had been fired for not charging the student. On March 28th, the district manager was on site and witnessed a student coming through the line with multiple food items that you did not charge him for, wrote Director of Human Resources Jamie Matheson in a letter obtained by New Hampshire Union Leader. This is a strict violation of our cash handling procedure, the school charge policy, and federal regulation governing free meals. Soon after, a spokesman for the vendor claimed that the company would never authorize an employee to, to not feed a student or staff member a meal and that no employee would be let go because they provide lunch to the student. Yet the letter Kimball received says otherwise. For what it's worth, Kimball said the student paid for his meal the following day. His family's very well known in this town, and I can guarantee that if I called his mother, she would have come right in and paid the bill, but I didn't want to get her get her out of work. I know they would have brought the money the next day. The bill was going to get paid. Now, more than a month after she was fired, Kimball has been offered her job back as well as back pay. Fox News reported that the company offered to rehire Kimball and work with the school district to revise policies and procedures regarding transactions. But Kimball said she's not interested in the politics of it all and has no intention of returning. She believes she was only offered her job back so the company could keep its contract with the school district. You know, that's bullshit. But when I researched this, once again, it was majority white school. So this is not an issue. You're not hearing it. If it was a majority inner city person of color school, we'd have a fucking problem with a school district firing a person who didn't feed a person of color. I just don't understand how this is not noticed by our media. That you only report black on white crime. You only are white on black crime. You only report white officers doing something to a person of color. You only report school districts fucking over people of color. 
you're not consistent. When it comes to issues like this, it shouldn't be black and white. It is a child. I mean, we we should be able to now say, because the Democrats want illegal aliens, Martians, fucking innate objects to vote. They want to get rid of Electoral College. And you wanted 16-year-olds to vote. So we should just make it as a societal norm that anybody under the age of 16 is a child, regardless of their gay Christian, white, black, pink, don't fucking matter. And we should probably take care of them. I, I, is that just me? Middle school invites drag queens to educate and perform for students. And this didn't go off well. Last week, a North Carolina school hosted local drag queens, encouraged them to talk to middle school students and celebrate how people are different. The idea was promulgated by two teachers at Central Park School for Children in Durham, North Carolina. Taylor Schmidt and Shara Brooks, who felt students identifying as LGBT, were being bullied. Schmidt said, if we're going to be a school that focused on equality and justice, and we're going to be a school that believes in an act of liberation, we need to be creative with our approach. Last December, the two teachers suggested the school that an event be held to address the issue, prompting the celebration of the Pride and Liberation event. Thus, last week, Vivica C. Cox and Stormy Day of the House of Cox Drag House spoke at the school, along with a panel featuring city council members. The event featured a drag show and a show for school step team. As CNN reported, CNN noted students were allowed to opt out of the event, but the school says most decided to attend. The news and record reported, in between Beyonce and Nicki Minaj songs, Cox and Day connected with students over growing up in Durham and what it was like to feel different, slipping into quick lessons about LGBT history, skirt lengths, yada yada, fucking that... Brian in the 70s, and yeah, we're going. Central Park didn't water down, but they made it age appropriate to give depth social. Cox told CNN of the students, I thought they must be feeling so empowered to see someone being themselves on stage. Visibility matters, and seeing queer person of color on stage says, This is me. Day added, You hope the children listen to this, so blah, blah, blah. She missed drive. The school offered a program called the Rainbow Unbox, noting on its website, Rainbow Unbox is CPSC Middle's Gay Straight Alliance promoting inclusion for all students. Here's the problem. Before we get into what the House passed, I have said it over and over on this show. Statistics show it over and over the show. Psychologists show it over and over the show. Scientists show it all over the show. The more you interject this stuff on kids, the more they're apt to try it out. Oh, Tony, you live in Tennessee. You're a white, redneck piece of shit. Well, you know, yesterday, I had to go to my crack clinic. Pain management, for those that are new to the show. And as I'm sitting in Walgreens, a cute young girl, probably 21, and a girl that was evidently wanting to look male, come into the building. They're holding hands, blah, 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 blah. Once the girl that looks totally like a male who's trying to be the alpha in the lesbian relationship, because once again they were holding hands and being affectionate, walked away, this girl starts flirting with the boy and talking to the boy and being very flirtatious with the boy until the girl comes back and then she kind of becomes more subservient. Well, once again, I forfeit that, no, not forfeit, but I put out that this is so faddish. This is so fucking faddish. We are pushing on these kids from an early age. You're not a boy, you're a girl. 
We're pushing on them cartoons that are gay, comic books that are gay. A lot of these kids go with it because they want to be special. And with the recidivative rate of transgender students at over 80% as proven on the show with numerous fucking surveys other than GLADs who lied on their surveys, I think this is dangerous ground. High school? Understand. Middle school? I do not understand why we're exposing in some districts 6th to 8th grade students not freshmen in high school, to any of this shit. We should not be delving into heterosexual shit. We shouldn't be delving into anything other than a biology course on this is a penis, that is a vajayjay. That's where we should stop. <clears throat> I just don't get it. So the House passed the Comprehensive LGBTQ Equality Act bullshit. From the Heritage Foundation, the five groups will be harmed by it. Employers and workers. The Equality Act will force employers and workers to conform to new sexual norms or else lose their businesses and job. It's not going to get into law because the Senate ain't going to pass it. But if it was, it's already happening at state and local level. The most high-profile examples of all Colorado Baker, Jack Phillips. We talked about it. But bakers, photographers, now citizens are being punished for their views on biological sex. And their religion. Medical professionals. I don't need to go into it. We just did the last podcast where a hospital is getting fucked over because they treated the male like a male, but it was a pregnant female because she had put everything on her shit to be male. So they didn't even think. They thought it was her blood pressure pills, but now they're pieces of shit because they didn't check under the hood. I mean, literally. Parents and children, this politicization of medicine would ultimately harm families by normalizing hormonal and surgical interventions for gender dysphoric children as well as ideological education in schools. 80 to 95% of children with gender dysphoria no longer feel distressed by their bodies after puberty. 80 to 95%. Yet activists continue to push their own radical protocol as young as 4, puberty blocking drugs as young as 9, cross sex hormones as young as 14, surgery by 18, and we've already talked enough at nauseum on the show that literally this will sterilize them. If they're past puberty, what the fuck? I don't care. Be a goat. But, dude. Then women. We talked about, I'm not going to go into their spiel. Dude. Women are getting fucked over on this shit. That's why that one feminist from Canada is getting banned and deplatformed. All this males can't make it in male sports, so I'm going to pretend I'm a female for a day because they sure the fuck don't try to look like a woman and are breaking all these records. Seriously? And then finally, nonprofits and volunteers would hurt charities and volunteers' population they serve. State and local sexual orientation and gender identity laws have shut down numerous faith-based adoption foster care agencies across blue states. Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, California, Massachusetts, and District of Columbia. Before it's all said and done, you won't be able to talk about adoption. You won't be able to talk about anything. Because the more the left plays with this, the more the only thing you can do in their fascist world is consume the latest thing, like map, minor attracted person that they're trying to push every day. Twitter moment, you would never see the inverse. 
State Network chose not to air episodes of PBS's Arthur because we talked last time that they were pushing interspecies homosexual marriage for a teacher. Libs got really pissed the fuck off, but we'll listen to NBC first, lose her mind, over this state's choice. We mentioned the animated series Arthur, uh, Arthur featuring a same-sex wedding between Mr. Ratburn, Arthur's teacher, and his now husband, Patrick. Well, turns out not everybody's too thrilled about that. Mm. Uh, Alabama Public Television chose not to air that episode. Mike McKenzie, the director of programming at Alabama Public TV, told NBCNews.com they reviewed the episode and decided not to broadcast it, instead showing a rerun, saying the vast majority of parents will not have heard about the content, whether they agree with it or not, and because of this, we thought it would be a violation of trust to broadcast the episode, and they reportedly have no plans uh, to air it. So their concern was that, you know, if you didn't get the word out That's about right. this, that a parent would turn on and say, well, what's that, going that on? They, they didn't have a chance to make the decision to either have their child watch it or not. I, I don't buy that. Me either. Mm. I don't buy it. I mean, I think it's, it sounds like a great statement, uh, but I, I think that they're hiding behind, um, you know, homophobia and intolerance. Because they don't know about it, they can't see it, because they haven't heard that the episode is going to be right. on, they right. can't look at life in 2019 America like everybody else does and Well, they may celebrate. The, the argument may be that we, we'd like to have our discussion with our kids about it yeah. mm-hmm. before... They Thanks, see the you know, episode, so, so, yeah, you know, so I, I understand that part. Yeah. Isn't Arthur known for tackling Oh, they've ta- tackled homelessness, topics. they've tackled poverty, they've tackled right. a whole slew of topics. Huh. Uh, so, uh, you know. I'll bet you, Nickel, they don't have a conversation with their kids about an episode about uh, traditional marriage. Let's just put it that way. I'm not buying that. Well, you're not from the fucking South, jackass, where majority of the people actually believe in God and have different norms than you. That's why when the framers framed this country, they believed in something called states' rights and things like that. I'm not going civil war. I'm not talking about slavery. I'm talking about religious norms and societal norms. The norms of Oregon are not Tennessee, and Tennessee is not Idaho. Fucking jackasses. An article on it, Alabama, tis tis, you already provoked the attention of Perpetual Outrage, Inc. by trying to make your... State safe for the unborn, but your willingness allowed parents to raise the kids they do have without a guidance of federally funded gay propaganda. PBS decided not to do it, blah, 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 blah. This McKenzie, obviously a hate-riddled reactionary, explained parents trust that their children can watch APT without supervision. Same thing we just heard. They just didn't think they had it in time. Um, the lefty Twitter mob is particularly enraged. They pay good money for PBS. We all do, whether we have a tote bag or not. And they expected to penetrate the trailer parks of Deep South. The blue check mark set, set's been making with hillbilly jokes like, That's an abomination, exclaimed Cletus to his third wife, who is also his second cousin. Uh, how many segments have I done how much they hate the South and fly over? Uh, the Huffington Post and liberals on Twitter crowed with that, uh, crowed with the, Excitement that only lefties could exhibit for gay rats on a public television. (laughs) That's it, too. We're talking about cartoons again. Arthur's joint Canadian-American series, which begins in 96, about an eight-year-old anthropomorphic aardvark named Arthur Reed. Hear that? Canada's behind this, just like it it is that other PBS testosterone sapper, Caliu. Yeah, a whole cartoon about raising Justin Trudeau. Remember the one with the... The bilingual wheelchair basketball playing dragons, same deal. It's a plot to emasculate the U.S. and impose Canadian cultural hegemony on us. How much rush can you listen to? (laughs) 
It's a funny article. We can probably expect that APT will relent and McKenzie will apologize. His mouth is miscalculated. He tried to serve his friends and neighbors in Alabama, but it was a folks in D.C. and Ottawa and on Twitter he should have been looking out for. True. Mm-hmm. In line with this, WAPO spins sympathetic story for trans weightlifter. Whole thing about, oh man, this is just so hard on them. Time said, hold my fucking beer. Time new cover, Mayor Pete Butlig's unlikely untested, unprecedented presidential campaign where he's pulling around nine fucking percent amongst Uber libs. Once again, I want to make sure we understand liberals aren't voting for a gay guy. Let's make sure we understand. It's not conservatives. You can't do that unless he wins the nomination. You're not voting for a gay guy. You want the old white Biden, who was basically the guy who just went up and said, it's a big fucking deal to bury. I mean, seriously. In this article, this is what it said. To be clear, I have no intentions of relegating family to the realm of the heterosexual or the straight for a number of reasons. That reflecting things like that, the fact that most queer people have strong ties to family, given and are chosen. What I am saying is that the unmistakable heraldry of first family, alongside the rest of the photograph, the tulips, the chinos, the notably charming but insistently generic porch, the awkwardly minimal touching that invokes the most uncomfortable, unfamiliar, cultural, heterosexual embrace any of us have ever received, offer a vision of heterosexuality without straight people. That's what the article said. L.A. Review of Books. This photo is about a lot of things, but one of its definitely features is its heterosexuality. It gives us the promise that our first gay, first family, might actually be a straight one. Yeah. To some of the replies. Heterosexuality 2019. Two dudes with a generic porch who have sex with each other. <laughs> Yeah. See, it, they, they want to twist everything. Now heterosexuality is gay. Another one, referring to a photo of a man and his husband as heterosexual because they have a relatively conventional family that happens to be gay is bizarre. It also seems to be weird you're not a real gay attack on the many LGBT people who do want to just live normal lives. Here's the deal. No gay person I know acts like gay people. Ever. That's from Oregon to workplaces. Remember, we talked on the show. A woman that was more masculine than me, with a beautiful young bride she had married, could give two fucks about the Supreme Court's ruling on gay sex. They weren't getting remarried. Their marriage to them was hunky fucking dory, and they had a... power of attorney that gave them everything they ever could need, including visiting rights, the whole nine yards, in a hospital, and all the specious little claims of why we couldn't do that to compromise between religious people and the 37 states who banned gay marriage, and the 13 states who told us all we're all fucking homophobes. They don't act like that. Only on TV, in the movies, Twitter, And in blue states, do they act a fucking fool? That's why I've always never had a problem. I was in an alpha world. I had a gay machine gunner. I never had a problem with gay people because gay people aren't different than straight people. They're normal. 
It's what we portray them as in the movies. And the outlandish, in-your-face, I hate you because you're a Christian. I hate you because you're heterosexual. I hate you because you're white. Gay that we see in popular culture. That's not gay people. You don't really know people are gay. That's why I always say on the show, I can be in Walmart looking for a fucking gallon of milk and they move the milk section again. I won't know if you're tranny, gay. I don't give a fuck. I might seem hypocritical as I just talked about a gay couple, but they were right in front of me. If you've been in a Walgreens, you got like six chairs and a hundred people. So they were literally in my face. I was up against the wall in a chair that's, I don't know why the chair was there, but that's where I was sitting. And I watched that dichotomy break out because it's what I truly believe. My kids, straight edge, this new generation of kids, let's be the opposite sex for a week and uh, I want to kiss a girl like Katy Perry. I mean, it's, it's just a fucking fad. And with all the treatment they get from the liberal people of the world, which are all our teachers from fucking grade school to college, well, what the fuck? A kid that don't fit in? Yeah, I'm going to be gay this week. And I'll probably milk that shit for a while. Elton John is on my side. It's bullshit to criticize a heterosexual man for playing a homosexual man in a film. A lot of outrage on Rocket Man, and we reported last time Rocket Man's got oral sex in it. They went all in so that they couldn't get, you know, they, they went fucking uh, broke back mountain just because they didn't want to get a bunch of shit like that poor um, Bohemian Rhapsody got that, that he wasn't gay enough. I mean, for fuck's sake, but. There was the same criticism that if you're trans, you can only be trans, and you can't represent trans, and you can't be gay, and you can't be this, and you gotta be that, and all this bullshit that the only the point, point, point of a percentage of idiot liberals were pushing for on Twitter, and Twitter's part of that point, point, point percentage. And he said, it's fucking stupid. Why do you fucking care? My story's out there. It's not like they didn't say I was gay. And I'm cool with it. <clears throat> Calvin Klein takes us out of this shit, forced to apologize for a commercial featuring model kissing a robot, but the reason why may surprise you. A 30-second ad released Friday actually stars a robot, 19-year-old digital robot Lil McQuella, to be specific, according to Elle magazine. The ad shows both Hadid and McQuella dressed in Calvin Klein, staring at each other, then moving in for a passionate kiss. Hadid's voice can be heard over the spot saying, Life is about opening doors. Creating new dreams that you never knew could exist. Presumably referring to the new door making out with mechanical humanoids. The video, Calvin Klein says, is an accompanying statement is titled, Bella Hadid and Lil McQuella Get Surreal. Adding that the video is about trying to discern between what's real and what's imagined. 19-year-old robot Lil McQuella blurs the lines of truth and fiction with Bella Hadid. Is this a dream or is this real? McQuella has a Twitter account, a fucking robot. I'm here. That is my truth. My truth. My Calvins. Jesus Christ. McQuella has designs of being the first robotic fashion model, and more specifically, the first robotic Victoria's Secret angel, has an album, and is an aggressive advocate for gay rights. Of course she does, because she was programmed by liberals. Sounds good. <clears throat> but while the concept of making out with a humanoid robot might not sit well with some, it really ran afoul of social justice warriors who accuse, here we go, you can never be too woke, folks, accuse Calvin Klein of first farming out a job that a living, breathing, queer person of color could have been, they were called queer baiting, yeah, deliberately and cynically using the cause of LGBT rights to attract viewers and sell products. 
Critics call the ad exploitative, report the Huffington Post. Who is going to tell Calvin Klein you're supposed to wait until June for your tone-deaf queer bait ad campaigns? An editor at New York Magazine wrote, referring to the idea that June is LGBT Pride Month. Little McQuella and Bella Hadid out there smooching two weeks too early. Others were just confused, questioning what exactly Hadid was doing in a video, especially given that she's a heterosexual who is in a public relationship with a male. Calvin Klein, sensing trouble, apologized in a tweet issued Saturday, explained that it's my Calvin campaign, which can trace its roots all the way back to the 1990s, is about challenging stereotypes and practicing tolerance. And the mob said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> go fuck yourself. Sweet God, you people, man. If Elton John's cool with it, let her tongue fuck that robot, all right? (laughs) Robot rights. All right, then we got really stupid shit. Devil Do Comics released an AOC comic book in both print and digital form on May 15. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and the Freshman Force, new party, who's dis? Comes with a... Jesus Christ. Rice on a popsicle. The excitement behind Cortez has proved to be so great that the comic book shop's country not only wanted to support AOC and the freshman force, but to design exclusive editions limited to their stores. Devil Do Publication publisher Joy Blaylock sent a press release. The title will help raise money for Races Texas, a group which, according to website, provides legal advocacy and representation in the immigrant system. Here's what readers can expect from the comic book. To ring in the newest Democratic member of Congress, Devil's Do Comics assembled a team of acclaimed artists to create the mother of all one of commemorative comics. AOC and the Freshman Force. New party? Who's dis? Who <laughs> thinks this shit up? Well, let's get to the goddamn point. AOC superhero alter ego shut down by DC Comics. Oh, say it's not so. AOC may be a heroine to legions of fans and fucking idiots, but Wonder Woman, she ain't, so says DC Comics. The publisher issued a cease and desist to small company com- comics company, barring it from selling covers of the freshman Democrat and attire assembling what is Wonder Woman. Devil Do Comics is running a comic book, blah, 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 blah. Grab a hamburger and grab a cup of coffee and prepare to enjoy this read. A promotional webpage reads, citing jargon from Trump. La la la. They were told to fuck off and stop. Before though, and I didn't know that, talk Bernie to me and Barack the Barbarian. They did comics for those wahoos too. Fascism. You got to have a leader, right? You got to like idolize that person. If you broke down the amount of liberals fawning over liberals compared to the small base of Trump, yet all we hear in the news is how Trump's people are a bunch of fucking zombie Nazis. Woman's false rape claim led to man's death. Police report detailed tragic chain of event. We do one every podcast. False reports of brutal sexual assault set up a bizarre chain of events that ended last week with the self-defense killing of a Florida man. The fatal set of circumstances went, began when Brittany Soray, a 30-year-old mother of five last month, contracted police to report that she had been sexually assaulted in her apartment in Tampa. Soray pictured at right alleged that a Hispanic man forced his way into residence and battered her and vaginally penetrated her with a broken broom handle and a box cutter. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in the end... Sorry's husband was arrested for allegedly shoving her to the ground during an argument in their apartment. The dispute cops reported was a due to infidelity allegations. She did it all to cover up for her infidelity. 
how the guy died. Um, in April, Sori informed followers that she was raising money for Florida. Blah, blah, blah. As detailed in court filing, Hignett, 38, was in the Largo residence at May 10th with a male neighbor, Michael Peterson, 60, showed up at the apartment to confront Sori and her husband over money issues. Peterson had loaned Sori's money and began beating on the front door. With Peterson banging on the front door, Hignett called Sori to report the disturbance. Sori responded by telling her friend that the person knocking on the door sounded like a male that sexually battered me. They shot the motherfucker. She was lying. But believe all women. Just remember that. Believe them all. To our cell phone fixation that I always talk about. Not going to read it because I'm still trying to get under that two-hour time limit. 5G danger. Hundreds of respected scientists sound the alarm about health effects on 5G networks. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see what the doctors say and get the back. We are scientists engaged in a study of biological and health effects of non-ionized electromagnetic fields. Based upon peer-reviewed published research, we have serious concerns regarding the ubiquitous and increasing exposure to EMF generated by electric and wireless devices. Devices. These include, but are not limited to, radio frequency radiation, emitting devices such as cellular and cordless phones and their base stations, Wi-Fi broadcast antennas, smart meters, and baby monitors. And they're showing more and more it's not good. To crazy crime. Man stabbed by a woman for allegedly jerking off on a subway. That was my good crime one. But in it was linked to a 2013 story that puts this one to shame. Supposedly the guy said he wasn't jerking off, but she stabbed him anyway. Just finish that one. This one cracked me up so bad, I was laughing for half an hour. Now, it ain't cool to jerk off in public. I'm just saying, jerking off is supposed to be private, for fuck's sake. You don't talk about jerking off. I mean, out in the Army, a lot of guys talked about jerking off. The whole alpha male crazy shit. I, I was not one of those guys. I know the world has changed a lot, but my generation, jerking off is private. You, you just That's a private thing. So this guy... He just mixed all sorts of wrong. This is actually from 2013. Taser no match for masturbator on meth in Oregon. (laughs) Story goes, Christmas is likely to be particularly merry this year for Andrew Frey of Beaverton, Oregon. I was born and raised on the border of Beaverton and Low, Oregon. Man was arrested on Sunday after a day of meth-induced mayhem that ended after he had been masturbating for a while at a bar at the outskirts of Salem. Sheriff Deputy attempted to zap Frey with a taser several times, but the weapon provided wholly ineffective. The deputy called for help, and at least 15 officers from three police units rushed to the scene and collected, collectively subdued Frey. Things began to go badly for Frey, 37, at some point on Saturday after he had ingested an unknown quantity of meth. About 1 p.m. on Sunday, the first call came about a man acting strangely, trickled into Marion County Sheriff's Office. Frey had allegedly called a locksmith and then refused to pay for services. Next, Frey wandered over to a gas station with a convenience store attached. He struck around for a while before an employee ushered him back out of his way. Finally, he, his destination for jail was Iggy's Bar and Grill. A seedy-looking drive just down the road. At Iggy, Frey moseyed up to the bar, exposed himself, and began shaking hands with the sheriff. He had taken his one-man show to the bathroom... By the time a lone deputy arrived, the deputy said he tased Frey a number of times because Frey resisted arrest. The taser was ineffective. Once a swarm of police arrived and finally subdued Frey, he was taken to custody. The charge was published in decency, resisting arrest, and theft. 
Frey later said he remembered none of the erratic behavior, notes the Oregonian. My question is, did he speed up or slow down? I'm just saying, if you're jerking off on meth, I mean, seriously, why would you do that? Seriously. You could break something already, but you're already whacking butt blind on meth. Then you get a current of voltage through your body while you're shaking hands with the sheriff. What the fuck? Then we got this shit. Nine hospitalized, roughly 70 arrested during Go Topless Jeep Weekend in Texas due to massive brawls. You know, folks, the Jeep community is supposed to be nice people. They're supposed to be good to each other. We don't have brawls. What the fuck, Chuck? We'll end off on a tornado story of a storm chaser who got a little too close, and we're going to our lighter fare. Well, one thing you you may not realize is that initially I thought that was dirt uh, with the tornado that it was kicking up, but in hindsight, it was actually field manure. So I was digging all that field manure out of my ears, and it was covered all over my face as well, all over the inside of the vehicle. Uh, But you never want to get that close to a tornado unless you do have a vehicle like this, the Dominator 3 uh, back behind me, which has instruments on the roof as well. So we were measuring wind speed inside that tornado. We had the drones in the air as well that were uh, flying circles around the tornado as we were inside of it. Unfortunately, I was a little bit away from the vehicle. I was about 50 feet away when the uh, dust cloud uh, arrived, so I couldn't see anything inside, so I just had to point my back into the wind and hunker down. I knew that it was going to be a very weak tornado, uh, just a quick pop of wind there, but then just to the north is when it matured and consolidated, and the funnel came down. Uh, It was illuminated bright white by the sun back behind us, and that was the first of about three to four tornadoes produced. Well, I kind of came close to two hours. But we're on our ending. I mean, I'm, it's better than 3.30. Do more lighter fare. Uh, Pornhub. Men shouldn't be making decision about women's bodies. Reply. Consider your porn site, and almost all porn involves a complete sexual degradation of women for men's pleasure. Y'all should just seriously shut the fuck up right now. And that's from a guy. <laughs> I checked him. Not a beta. My tweet to them was, You're kind of like AOC. You don't know how babies are made, do you? (laughs) Then we had the passing of Grumpy Cat. I really wasn't into him, but some of these memes are really funny. And I just want to say, for the, this is for my wife and me. I mean, we have three cats, four dogs, two exotic birds. It's a zoo in here. You hear it on every podcast. And yes, my wife has most of them. I have a female hybrid. That's it. And a cat. I got a a feral cat that I tamed. And um, that's it. You know, those are the only two things I brought in the house. Other than Buddy, which was Santa. So, you know, hey. I love Buddy. He's a good dude. He died, this, not my animal, this grumpy cat, because of a urinary intractive infection. And as an owner of cats, these people cared about him enough to make all this money off him and notoriety, but you couldn't tell he had a UTI and he died of it. You're a fucking piece of shit. They should be charged. You can tell when a cat has a UTI. It's very obvious. And they shouldn't die from it. So that's pretty fucked up. That's for the wife. She wanted me to say that, and I agree with her. 
So to the memes, uh, grab the best of the ones I could see because there's just hundreds. There are two types of people in this world, and I hate them both with just that grumpy face. Love is in the air. Try not to breathe. This grass, I'd like to bury you under it. <laughs> like a good neighbor, stay over there. And he's on a fence. Smiles are contagious with a happy cat. And then there's grumpy cat. Don't worry, I'm vaccinated. I don't like morning people or mornings or people. And the pic, I mean, these pictures are just classic. I had fun once. It was awful. And lastly, I like Titanic. My favorite character was the iceberg. <laughs> then I dog Oregon a lot. I, I love my mom and dad. I love my bros out there. You know, Matt in Oregon is just one of the best supporters of the show. He listens to it all the time. And I know I rag on it a lot. And that's just kind of fucked up because you live there. But this time, I, I have a lighter fare for, you know, maybe there's still some sanity other than Matt in Oregon uh, out there. Because this is fantastic. Portland Trailblazer fan has gone viral for all the right reasons. A video making the rounds on Twitter shows multiple security guards trying to get a man out of the stadium during Game 3 of the Trailblazer series with the Warriors. The man, who as some might now call an icon of freedom, wasn't having any of it and proceeded to chug his beer as security tried to carry him out. You might be able to kill a man's spirit, but you'll never be able to take away his freedom to drink a cold beer. There are very few things that unite everybody, and this moment was one of those rare instances. The entire stadium, Portland, was behind this unsung hero. Even the Trailblazer players were clapping in the background. The moment he started chugging the beer, he was taking a stand for America. He was just taking a stand for freedom. <laughs> Good on him. Another one comes from overseas. French town offers free Viagra to any couple who moves there in a bid to boost the local birth rate. <laughs> He said two local schools did not have enough pupils and were facing closure, which is just, that's pretty fucked up. And then um, I have a couple last bits of Game of Thrones and then we put it to bed. I was going to play the cast reactions, not going to do it, it's too long. Um, I'm going to explain a video. I found this one last night and I just think this is pretty damn cute. Um, if we all, are, or anybody in my age um, can remember... John Hughes, um, all the classic movies that were ever done by him, always ended with a little montage of where they are now and et cetera, et cetera. So somebody made a John Hughes for the end of Game of Thrones. And I'm just going to explain it because it's just music once again. So now it's Tormund and John writing out in the wall. <clears throat> And he's watching the door fall down. It's the last scene. And here comes the John Hughes music. John settled with the free folks and helped establish trade with the North. Lacking leadership in numbers in the aftermath of the defeat of the White Walkers, the Night Watch... Oh, I'm so sorry. This is... Going way. Oh, hold on a second. I just had a fucking total meltdown. We're going to back this shit up. Sorry. 
Uh, Lacking the leadership and numbers in the aftermath of the defeat of the White Walkers, the Night Watch quietly disbanded. And that's not as funny. Then they show Sansa. The winter was devastating to Sansa's rule. Food stocks depleted by war. Many northerners died of starvation. Requesting aid from Highlanders, the north was driven into deep debt. Now it's uh, Arya on her boat. Arya found land west of Westeros and named it Westerosros. <laughs> she returned to Winterfell and never married. She only be- backed up. Uh, she only be- hacked one more person into pieces. I think that's what it says. Uh, uh, after showing up at Storm's End, claiming to be Gendry Baratheon, Lord. Patuxa of the Stormland, Gent- Gentry was beaten up by Stannis loyalists and thrown in a ditch. Tyrion now. Tyrion eventually realized that he was Lord of Castle Rock. He built monuments to his father and sister with the dedication, evil, but like, not that evil. <laughs> Ron was stabbed and killed in a bar fight three days later. Now we're on Sam. Davos served several years as master of ships. He died peacefully at home, surrounded by his wife and surviving children. Sam continued to get free pass for all his oath-breaking. He died of accidental exposure to an infectious disease. <laughs> now we got fucking... King Bran, facilitated by omniscience of the Three-Eyed Raven, King Bran ruled with an iron fist, brutally ending numerous wars before they even began. (laughs) Uh, Yara, agreed by Northern Independence, I fucking hate the way this always puts up the title, um, the Iron Islands rebelled for the third time in a generation. King Bran suppressed the rebellion, but an outlawed worship of the Drowned God, worship of the Drowned God, and gave lordship over the islands to his uncle, extending the border of the Riverlands. And now we got the dragon. Drogon returned to Essos and hunted everybody. Ghost. Ghost stayed a good boy and got many more pats. Eh, that was cute. That's kind of a cute thing. Then somebody came up with this and we'll put Game of Thrones to bed. For those that are into it, search Andy Kelly on Twitter at Ultra Brilliant. Common spelling. He put together a video, one second from every episode of Game of Thrones. I can't play it because um, it's just the theme of Game of Thrones. But it's a minute and 23 seconds. And if you watch that, the whole damn thing just makes sense. It just makes sense. They did the perfect scenes to the last scene. And it's like, wow, dude, good job. Which brings us into our This Is America. It is a... Al Jazeera video. I'm going to play it, and then I'm going to read the transcription. And remember, this is where Google sends people for news. 
And as you can guess by the name Al Jazeera, this is America, and we haven't talked about anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. ستة ملايين يهودي قتلوا على أيدي النازية رواية تبنتها الحركة الصهيونية ويؤكد عليها كل عام مع إحياء ما يعرف بذكر الهولوكوست تعالوا نحدثكم عن قصة المحرقة أكثر من تسعة ملايين يهودي أقاموا في أوروبا قبل الحرب العالمية الثانية معظمهم في الدول التي سيطر عليها النازية لاحقاً بعد الهولوكوست تزعم الحركة الصهيونية أن يهوديين من بين كل ثلاثة قتلوا استهدف النازيون كل من اعتبروهم فائضا بشريا إما لوضاعتهم عرقيا أو عدم قبولهم سياسيا هذا يعني أن اليهود ليسوا وحدهم ضحايا المرحلة النازيون استهدفوا الغجرة والشعوب السلافية وبعض العرب كذلك إلى جانب مجموعات أخرى كالشيوعيين والاشتراكيين والنقابيين والمثليين جنسيا والمعاقين اليهود واجهوا مع غيرهم سياسات ممنهجة من الاضطهاد وصولا إلى الحل النهائي أو الإبادة So the article goes The Holocaust denying video Al Jazeera produced They don't want you to see Memory, who are the same people that brought us The Philadelphia video about chopping heads for Allah Provide the following translation to what you just heard the narrative that 6 million Jews were killed by the Nazi movement was adopted by the Zionist movement and is being reiterated every year on the so-called Holocaust Memorial Day. Let us tell you about the story of the Holocaust. More than 9 million Jews lived in Europe before World War II, most of them in countries that would later be taken over by Nazis. After the Holocaust, the Zionist movement claimed that two out of every three Jews was killed. The Nazis targeted anyone they considered to be human surplus, either because they were racially inferior or because they were not accepted politically. This means that Jews were not the only victim of that era. The Nazis targeted Romania, the Slavic nations, and some Arabs, as well as other groups like communists, socialists, trade unions, homosexuals, and handicapped. Along with others, the Jews faced a policy of systematic persecution, which culminated in the final solution or annihilation. Their books were burned, they were fired from their jobs, their property was confiscated, and they were torn from their homes in order to live in secluded ghetto neighborhoods. They were forced to wear a special badge on their clothes. They were sent to detention centers. They were worked to death in forced labor. The victims of the Nazis who were following Hitler's orders exceeded 20 million people. The Jews were part of them. So why is there a focus only on them? The Jewish groups have financial resources. It's the Benjamins... Media institutions, research centers, and academic voices that managed to put a special spotlight on the Jewish victims of the Nazis. Nevertheless, the number of victims of the Holocaust remains one of the most prominent historical debates to this day. Debates. People are divided between those who deny the annihilation, others who think that the outcome was exaggerated, and others yet accuse the Zionist movement of blowing it out of proportion the service of a plan to establish what would later be known as the State of Israel. Let us take a pause here. How did Israel benefit from the Holocaust? How did they benefit? It's almost like Tlaib with a calming feeling. 
In the first months following the Nazi rise to power, an agreement was signed between Nazi Germany and the Jewish Agency, the purpose of which was to make it easy for Jews to immigrate to Palestine in exchange for surrendering their property to Germany, which we already know from history they were not allowed to. This agreement, along with other documents, made some people believe that Hitler supported Zionism. Former Mayor of London, Keeve Livingston, publicly declared this belief, and he was suspended from the Labour Party because of this. The persecution and suffering, the most regurgitated narrative of the Holocaust sorrows, paved the way for the Jewish immigration to Palestine. Germany is still paying huge reparations for what happened in World War II to a state that did not even exist at the time of the annihilation. Greece, the Serbs, Yugoslavia, and Romanian people have all suffered, but the Germany reparations to those victims cannot be compared to the payments to Israel, which in turn devour the reparations of all Jewish victims of Nazism. The Holocaust never stops to be a tragic event. Several countries denounce it as a crime. Dozens of institutions sponsor large museums in various capitals in the world commemorating the tragedy of the Jews. This provoked great interest in this incident, even though similar crimes, no less heinous, are still being perpetrated against other people. The annihilation of any people because of their race, sex, or religion is an unacceptable thing that deserves to be strongly denounced. Denouncing the Holocaust is a moral obligation. But Israel is the biggest winner from the Holocaust, and it uses the same Nazi justifications as launching pad for the racial racial cleansing and annihilation of Palestinians. The main ideology behind the state of Israel is based on religious, national, and geographic concepts that suckled from the Nazi spirit and its main notions. So how can a Palestinian denounce a crime that has become the flip side of its own tragedy? That is Al Jazeera. <clears throat> that is Talib, and that is Omar. Yeah, the Holocaust was bad, but Jewish people benefited from the wholesale extermination of generations. Are you fucking shitting me? So though it's not in English, that is the worst fucking thing I heard this week. And Google promotes that news network. And you know why they do? Because even though they're not as bold, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, NBC, ABC, Chuck Todd has danced around that statement. Palestinians aren't being exterminated. Israel is defending themselves from 700 rockets this month. But they're the bad guys. And they benefited from the final solution. You know, I've said it a million times. Islam is not a bad religion. I admire their, I mean, literal, the religion to them is their whole life. Their dedication to it. I wish I could be a Christian like that. I've never been that devout, and I wish I could. I'm a believer. 
but I don't walk the walk. But within that religion is a lot of hate. And if you surveyed, honestly, the majority of people who have migrated to this country, they've been brainwashed by their societies that use Israel as the excuse and blame for all the ills in the world. That's why they're for Sharia. That's why they all support what Tlaib and Omar say. Because they agree with it. We can't be held accountable for what the Nazis did is their idea or principles. Yet you, if you're a white Caucasian person in this country, regardless of when you immigrated, like my bloodline didn't come here till way after slavery, you are accountable for all the ills of Jim Crow, of slavery. It doesn't matter. You're white. It's your fault. You have been able to have a better life, even if you're living like I am, modestly, or if you're in a fucking trailer in a van down by a fucking river, Somehow your skin color has allowed you to do so much. Does it sound familiar? Because that's what they just said about is Jewish people. Well, you benefited from the Holocaust because you have it all so great. I mean, you got to dodge 700 fucking rockets every once in a while. But, you know, come on. It's not as bad as the Palestinians. There's more money flowing into Palestine than there's money flowing into Israel from America specifically. And I will tell you this. If they're spending it not on their people, how is that Israel's fault? But that's the world, unfortunately. The progressive, far-left hate mongers that are from resistance members in America to the BDS movement, and specifically Omar and Tlaib and Farrakhan, And a lot of people on CNN, that's the way they look at the world. No responsibility, no accountability. We blame others. In America, it's white people. The rest of the world, it's the Jews and the Benjamins. Those words that I just read to you are no different than what Omar and Tlaib have been saying for fucking four months. And every podcast, I publish it. Yet our media institutions say, oh, you're just pouncing. You're just twisting her words. When you say hateful things, nothing needs to be twisted. We don't twist words for Trump. The good people on both sides is still living today. He is blamed for those deaths. He's blamed for every death on the planet if it comes from a white person against a non-Christian religion. I mean, it's just fucking pathetic, so that's not the good way to end my non-political podcast, but there it is. So, this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends, send comments or suggestions to FOPPOD 
C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. You get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. I just see, try to see how fast I can say that every time. Remember to check out the Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. As stated, we're going to go a political podcast, a violent left section, <clears throat> and hopefully a subject that will come up that's not about abortion and anti-Semitism would be really nice. On 25 May, Year of Our Lord 2019, and then we're going to turn around and crank out another one on uh, the 28th. And that's the last one for a while. Um, like I said, I'll be traveling the 29th through the 2nd, and I'm going to try to get one out uh, sometime between the 2nd and the 10th. One podcast... Have the boys on it. Got the grandkids on, like we did oh so long ago, and then we go into the times of when I can get one in. I get one in, and they will be short. I didn't make my two-hour limit. I think we're about two thirty, but that's much better. Next one's going to be two hours. I promise you. I'll stop sidebarring like I am right now. Remember, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeah. Spend time with your family. If you're in the south, it's getting better. You can go outside again. I'm going fishing Friday. The pollen's down. And make sure you tune in Saturday. It's going to be a good podcast. I have a whole bunch of shit already stacked up and ready to put together now that I can use my left hand again. As always, folks, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make Every day counts.